Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, the podcast where we encourage you to text the questions in that you have about God, Christianity, the Bible, spirituality, life, comparative religions, you name it, the ones that you might be afraid to ask, embarrassed to ask, don't know who to ask. We have been doing this podcast for quite a while and working in the church scene for longer than that. And what we have found is that people come into churches all the time and they don't feel like it's a place where they are free to ask the real questions that they have. That's what this podcast is about. And we invite you to text whatever questions you have in to 815-314-0363. That's 815-314-0363. If you're joining us online through Facebook, Kent, you want to give the shout out on that? Uh, absolutely. You can, uh, <laughs> uh, you can just jump, jump right in the text right here on Facebook at 21, six, the net Facebook and or 21, six, the net or fellowship of faith, Facebook, or on the YouTube as well. Uh, give us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them live right here. Also, if, uh, if you're catching this while we're not live at 1230, p.m. central on wednesday is uh still throw it in there we'll check it out and uh and we'll get back with you yeah okay i got so, the first question yeah and, and i know where you're going and i didn't sleep okay so that's why this is why this is happening <laughs> it's a good start always. it is wait wait so this question is not about the whammy it is oh okay i'm, I'm continuing but, Go ahead. but Go i ahead. don't know that the audience is was in on our earlier conversation that's true yeah so whammy but what is the game show like? If you go to my TV or whatever, or the game show network or whatever, what was the was it? Press your luck. Press, Press your luck. luck. That's yeah. what it was. Okay, it was so, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Right, right. So now that dude was creepy too. Though. Follow the whammy, dude. Yeah, he was. was so follow me on this because that's exactly where my head went. On our theme song, I I would love to see that animation like dancing across <laughs> our table here on Facebook and like you know doing his little dance and have question marks above his head and stuff like that so that's just what i visualize that's the type of stuff that's in my head <laughs> shortly after his stint on press your luck he did go over to domino's and was the noid yes yeah avoid the noid right. that's See? right and it was the probably this well very similar same guy that drew it <laughs> Didn't someone end up like cracking the code on Press Your Luck, though? I kind of remember. Is that the right game show where some guy watched like 400 hours of tape? No, I think it was uh, The Price is Price Right. Price is Right. He had, no, what, he had too many every, games. He had he everything memorized, memorized yeah, as far the as the pricing goes. You know, okay, this may have happened on a couple shows because the one I was watching is watching some kind of number sequence, and it was supposed to be random, hmm. where like, you know, this flashing light was coming up on a screen, and he broke down the algorithm, and so he knew if it flashed in this pattern – that it would always hit on some like high money number or something. Be. And I thought it was press your luck. I probably was. Yeah. Cause it was. Boop, 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 yeah. But yeah. Like a Rubik's cube, the way you solve that, like you just have to recognize the patterns. Yeah. Like, and they actually came after him on the show. They weren't going to pay up. And I think it actually went to court and high up at like an appellate courts and stuff like that. And, it's like card, they, 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 card counting. It's not against the rules, but it's, it's not against upon, the law, but right? it's, yeah. it's faux pas. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, nah, you know, he cracked your code. Broke the game. It was like Rain Man. Yeah. But Jeopardy. Yeah. Didn't he play Jeopardy? Was it no Wheel no, of Fortune? No, no, no. What did he Black on Rain Man? What was it? Oh, he played Black. Oh, you mean but he would watch it online? No, right. it's Blackjack that he went and Yes, but there was a game that he watched all the time and it, he had to watch it at every every time of the yeah, day. Yeah, like, yeah. It's been so long since I've seen that. That was a good I movie. Never seen. You've never, never seen, seen it? Rain Man? It came out wow. before you were born. Tom yeah. Cruise. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> uh Chris <laughs> Rick. Worth time. Chris says maybe that's why you have trouble sleeping, Steve. Probably, Chris. <laughs> yeah, don't, Probably. Watch, don't watch Press Your Luck before <laughs> bed. <Yeah. laughs> 
I think we need to get Caleb back here to do an exorcism. Of <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Steve's, get those Steve's things. And his house. The entire house, right? <laughs> Olive oil stains on all the walls. We just yeah. redid our floors. Keep that crap off our floors, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you clean it up afterwards. Well, today seems to be the the novel of question day. <laughs> okay. Everything's a paragraph, and there's multiple questions within in them, so... We're just going to have to dive in and see, see what we can make sense yeah, of it. Let's, let's see what um, takes us. And the first one starts out with, hope this makes sense. So that's a good, <laughs> it's a good way to start. <laughs> we're, we're braced. All right. Let me tell yeah. you, it doesn't. <laughs> Already know. Uh, so yeah, hope this makes sense. Uh, I've made mistakes in my past. I was selfish and put myself first. But I turned to God, confessed my sins, sought forgiveness, and he has been gracious to me. I live a great life and don't deserve what I have. It sometimes feels... Like I haven't been quote unquote punished for what I've done or how I behaved. Should I be expecting my punishment or downfall? Like a rug will be pulled out from under me. Also, will my children one day have to suffer or be punished for my sins? I pray all the time that they're better than me and that they don't do what I have done. Yeah. I just wrote this last night at three 30. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it came in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it could, I mean, I could have, that's, that's very similar to some of the thoughts I have sometimes. So, and these are the 3.30 a.m. Yeah, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, so just so you know, like, you're not a rarer. Like, that's not an uncommon thought to have as as an individual. So don't, like, think, oh, my gosh, I'm who, who am I to have to struggle with this alone? And yet don't. how many of us are plagued by it right. on more than just a random night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But oftentimes things that come back. So I do want to thank you for asking this today. I mean, you really bared your heart in this, and it does make sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense, and a lot of us have been there in one capacity or another. And I just kind of want to say, I think it's incredible that you're recognizing these things in yourself, in your past, that you're owning them. That's what repentance is all about. No longer trying to rationalize them or hide from them, but, but admitting them uh, before God. And um, the fact that you've turned to God, that you've confessed your sins, that you sought forgiveness um, and have seen his grace. What an incredible testimony. I hold on to that. And I want to just encourage you, uh, no, um, you have not probably been punished for what you've done. We all deserve far worse than what we often receive in this world, Um, particularly from God. We don't deserve anything from God. Uh, And yet you shouldn't expect more punishment. I know it feels like, like maybe you've gotten off too clean. Maybe you've gotten off too easy. Maybe how could God just wipe this away and give me a great life? That's what God does. That's what grace is. It is a free forgiveness that he gives. And he just says, here, I have taken your punishment. You will not be punished because Christ that took that punishment on himself. And God doesn't have to double down on this. Um, Christ took it for you. That's what the crucifixion is about. That's what I know you know, I think, from the context of this. Nor do you have to fear that your children will be punished someday for your sins. Now, you know, I don't want to talk about consequences here. There are always natural born consequences for our actions and not knowing the circumstances and not knowing the situation of what you're talking about. There may be consequences that you have to work through, but that is different than some kind of punishment from God or cosmic punishment or him trying to balance the universe by pouring something on you. Now the sin has been paid. You're forgiven. Praise God that, uh, um, he's given you this 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 amazing life, and yeah, continue to ask that your children do better than you. I mean, which of us as parents haven't? Yeah, 
had that as well. So thanks so much for asking. Great, great question. And I wonder if that stems out of, I forget the specific Bible passage or story where it's talking about punished to like the third and fourth generation. Yeah. You know, Abraham. No, no, it's no. actually like in, embedded in the 10 commandments. So if you look yes. at Exodus 19 and 20, uh, you know, and I'm going to frame this a couple different ways. Um, what, what God will say is he's communicating through Moses to the people of Israel that, that um, I, I am a jealous God. God. God is looking for the monogamous relationship, if you will. Um, I'm a jealous God punishing to the third and fourth generation, but blessing up to a thousand generations of those who love and fear me. So I don't want to undermine the scary part of punishing to the third and fourth generation, but even within there, there's an equation at play for understanding the character and nature of God is that when he punishes, he punishes to the third or fourth degree. When he blesses, he blesses to the thousandth degree. And yet what's even often more missed is that later in, in the old Testament narrative, that is reversed itself. The prophet Ezekiel will talk about this. He'll even comment on it going, you have once heard it said, more or less, to kind of quote the language, that, that God would punish to the third and fourth generation, but now everyone will stand before God for his own sins. Um, the children will not be perish, will, will not be punished for the sins of their fathers anymore. I can look up the exact reference or you can just do a quick Google search and you'll find it. But you'll find that in Ezekiel. And, uh, you know, then in Christianity, you know, with Jesus, it, it comes even more because now we don't even stand on our own sins anymore. Christ bears our sins for us. And that's why we turn to Christ. You know, he is there saying, I will take this. You can stand before God on your own if you want, or I can take it for you. Yeah, yeah. I think that that clarifies that. But I know that's, that, that was a phrase that popped into my head immediately when that came up like, oh, the third and fourth generation, like that's in there somewhere. Yeah. And it has um, frightening stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that just gets in your soul. And Well, I know yeah. people, like, even if you're looking at, oh, you know, my kid was born with a, a birth defect or someone got cancer. Like, you're always looking for what's the reason for that? Like, did I mess up somehow that this happened? Right. Um, right. Just because I think that's that's human nature. And often not even just what I would call the natural consequence reason, mm -hmm. but the divine punishment yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a it's a scary place to live. So it is. It it's is good to have. It's good to have your answers to that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The God of the Bible invites us to a different path. Mm -hmm. Let's since we're you know dealing with Galatians at church, we've got a Galatians specific question here. Okay. Um, so Galatians three twenty eight says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ." Right. Uh, my question is: Are a specific are our specific genders not relevant or of importance any longer because of Christ? Hmm. It depends in what way that you mean. So this passage comes out of Galatians. I don't know if you quoted the exact passage, but it's Galatians 3, 26 to 28, maybe 29, right in there at the end of this chapter. And it's this big climactic statement Paul's making after trying to kind of land home again and again, the point that our relationship with God and our standing before him and our, and our place in his covenant community of people has nothing to do with what we do, but what God has done for us in Christ. And he comes to the end of this and he says, we're all sons of God through faith in Christ. And, and some modern translations will put children of God. The actual translation is sons of God, but that is actually not meant to be denigrating to females. Far from it. It's actually meant to be very elevating to females in the cultural context going, you as a female have the, in a first century context, the legal rights as sons 
of heirs and authority and everything else going with it. So it actually elevates rather than denigrates. Um, uh, more significantly, he says, the Gentiles have it too, not just the Jews, even though the Jews were considered the children of God, if I can put it that way. But what Paul is not trying to do by this is saying that distinctions no longer matter or are important, generally speaking. He's not, to saying, he's not saying that there's no difference between males and females. He's not saying there's no difference between people's ethnicity or race. He's not saying there's no difference between people's socioeconomic status. There clearly is differences in these things. What he's saying is that they don't matter before God. If Paul was saying that distinctions don't matter, you would have to throw Galatians out. And the reason why is because the entire letter of Galatians is predicated on Jews telling Gentiles that they have to become like Jews. And Paul is saying, you don't have to become like Jews. You can continue being Greek or by extension, or you know, you could continue being Galatian or Greek or by extension, German or Italian or African or Chinese or Russian or Mexican or whatever other stripe we want to put in here, Right you don't have to lose your distinctions and you don't lose your distinctions, but they do not elevate you or denigrate you before God in any way. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's, it's very, it's very interesting how, how that's explained, but you know, knowing the social context <clears throat> behind it of generally women in that society were of a lesser status. It's certainly legal status. Yeah. It's legal. Um, and just how they were treated in society as well. So you're right. It's uh, you weird know, that that's a promotion, like a promotion to son. Cause we just don't think of it in, in that way. Now it, um, it's kind of a strange way of thinking about God, but Galatians makes a big point of inheritance and we all get what an inheritance is, but I think it gets weird because someone has to die to get an inheritance generally. And you don't think about God dying and then going, here you go. So it's an analogy, but well, Christ did die and, the inheritance kind of came that way by extension, but, but it is not an analogy. But, but in the ancient Greco-Roman world, uh, daughters did not get inheritances. Um, truthfully, in most of the world, it's always gone to the firstborn son. I mean, I know this is right up your alley, Steve, and you watch us at 3 a.m. every night, but, you know, I was like going through Netflix and, mm -hmm. hey, Downton Abbey's there. Yeah. You know, it's like I was, I was going to forward it right to you because I knew, you know, you missed it. I thought about putting on a play. Right. You can take this up. This creepy doll over here. What's I this doll's Glenda. name again? Glenda can watch it with you. She looks like she came straight out of yeah. Downton Abbey. We can reenact some things. But, you know, what we're talking about is, is 19-teens, 1920s Britain. And the entire show is predicated that he only has daughters and the entire estate is going to be lost. Mm -hmm. And so they have to marry her off to the right guy that they trust and find the right heir and all this kind of stuff. It isn't just the ancient Greco-Roman world. This has been much of human history. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, writing in arguably 49 or 50 AD, tells females, tells slaves, and tells Gentiles, you have full rights as sons, full inheritance rights before God. All his blessings, all his promises, all the sonship and all that that entails socioeconomically and politically as you normally think about it also counts to you because of Christ. Because it has nothing to do with you. It's about Christ. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you think about just how how often, especially in the media and whatnot, how often we're, we're continually talking about race and gender. And it's like, hmm, probably shouldn't be the focus. I mean, why? Why are we doing that? 
you know, when we're all children of God made in his image, all equal. Anytime it becomes a point of distinction yeah. where people try to elevate over each other or separate from each other goes against the grain of what God's people right. and God's vision for people was meant to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, we've got a couple questions here. I think continuing on what we talked about last week with kind of the law and gospel distinctions. Um, so Jesus fulfills the law. He does not abolish it. The law now is no longer following outside rules. It's following the Holy Spirit as Jesus is now in, in us. Where I get hung up, uh, there's two points here. One, Jesus says following rules is not going to get you to heaven. But then two, Jesus says the pure of heart will go to heaven. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Help me out here, Jesus, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I'm, I'm most likely missing a bit of nuance in my oversimplification. Uh, yet being good does not get you into heaven. What defines pure of heart versus just being good? The law? Even with Jesus in us, we cannot always see the proverbial forest through the trees. So there's no way. Wait, so there needs to be a way to know. But if we follow the law and not live it, we are effectively living against Christ's desires. Okay, that is a lot. Yeah, That's a lot. a lot. So can, can we sim and simplify? Let, let's break and, this down. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't you have to like, what is being good? I mean, define that. Yeah, well, well you I know, think that's some of what this is getting to, right. like the pure of heart. What does that mean right. to be pure of heart? Is it being good? Is it following the law? Is it following the spirit? But to is your point, Steve, it's fascinating. You think that one story with Jesus, you could read it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, I think it's in all three of the synoptics. And and this this man comes up to, G to Jesus and he calls him good teacher. And Jesus turns around and goes, why do you call me good? Right. There's no one good but God alone. Right. Which is interesting because he is Because he is God. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> right. you, you know, then you start getting into that. But uh and then you get into works good. and, you know, right. good works and right. good works are like filthy rags to him. So we can never be good enough. Right. So there's a lot and here. And if we could, then why did Jesus come? Exactly. Yeah, so. And what we're seeing is that every, every kind of, every layer that we peel, it, it's opening up a new field of questions, right? Mm -hmm. So let me try to walk through what I'm seeing as the highlights here. And at the same time, clarifying some things where I saw some yellow flags on the play because I think there's some assumptions being made mm -hmm. that aren't quite, well, as the person says, nuanced correctly, but the nuances actually matter. So let's see what we could do. Yes, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. He says it in Matthew chapter five, right around verse 16, 17, 20, something like that. The law is now no longer following outside rules. Well, that's not quite true. The law is following rules. We're not under the law, though. That, 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 that's the point. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, so I'm just wondering if there's a desire here to still cling to the law, but they're trying to redefine the law. No, the law is following the rules. The law is, is a system of rules, at least in one perspective. Mm -hmm. Galatians' point is you're not under the law. And then it says, it's following the Holy Spirit as Jesus is now in us. What's following the Holy Spirit? Do they mean the law? Is that what that pronoun's referring to? No, the law is not following the Holy Spirit. The law is the law. The law is in distinction or verses, if you can do it that way. And again, I'm talking all New Testament, but specifically from a Galatians perspective here. So let's talk about the hang-up. Jesus says following rules is not going to get you to heaven. Jesus doesn't actually say that verbatim, but we can go with it. It's safe enough. You are right. Following the rules does not get you to heaven. But here's the thing that needs to be qualified because later in the question, 
It's not because theoretically it can't. If you were able to follow all the rules and be completely righteous, you could get into heaven based on your own righteousness. The problem is not the theory. The problem is the reality. Because the standard of it has proven to be something that humanity has never been able to live up to, even though humanity has always looked at it and said it is right and good. Maybe not in the moment, maybe not all the time, but it is kind of fascinating that this higher ethic or standard that we all espouse and look up to, um, none of us really do it, but we all agree it's what we should be doing. Well, if, and it's a big hypothetical if, you could, well, yeah, you get to heaven that way, but the problem is you haven't and you don't and you won't. And so what do you do in, in the classic language of this is called because of this plight that we find ourselves in. And the solution is God sending Christ to die in our place, take judgment in our place, to go back to the earlier question. And in him who did do it correctly, we find our new identity. And that means when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's why the New Testament talks about being in Christ, what's true of Christ counts to us. So because Christ is pure in heart, God calls us righteous, even though we're not righteous. But then you go, but are we? Because God says we are. And if God says we are, doesn't that make it the case, even if we're not? not. And in Romans, <laughs> we'll get into that in other places and we can go down that path. But I think that's missing the point of this today. And so for our listeners' perspective, we can go so deep down a rabbit hole here and lose people along the way. Mm -hmm. I want to avoid that. But hopefully that nuancing has helped clarify some of the deeper questions that are going on here. Um, I, I wouldn't try to get weird with pure in heart. Pure in heart is just, it, it's truly being clean and not distorted or evil or wicked according to God's standards that you can look at the law, if you will, as a mirror, so to speak, to reflect upon, to see how you compare against it. Yep. So if we go to the comments, Ted says, being pure of uh, <clears throat> being pure of heart to me would would not be letting society get in the way of believing, loving, and following God's teaching and ways. Well, that could be, but you know what? Uh, a militant uh, Muslim would agree with you. Sure. So, so what's the difference? So, being pure in heart, you say would not be letting. So, does that mean coercing people? Does that mean forcing people? I do appreciate the comment, um, and and so even within that, you got to nuance it yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, that's that level, that level of nuance and the, the definitions are very important of how are you defining the law? How are you defining good? How are you defining pure of heart? Right. Um, and just knowing what you're talking about when you're saying those things and the other person knowing what you're talking about. We have about. a hand raised. And this is what Jesus is doing. And then we'll swing over to Kent when he says no one is God. No, no one is good but God. You know, what, what Jesus is doing is in, inviting you to make your definition of good based on God. And that doesn't mean you do what God always does because God is free to do things that we're not free to do, but reflecting on what his instruction is to us, what his guidance is to us, what his revelation is to us. Yeah. Ken. So just why, why do humans complicate this so much? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because he, he says, right. Uh, love the God, love, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, body, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Done. That would be pure of heart, right? And but yet we dig into all these. I mean, that could be the Bible or the good the good news, the New Testament, right there, perhaps. 
right? It's just, here it is. I, I mean, I would agree with you, but uh, I would just simply say because life is complicated and, and life is messy and the maxim definitely works as a vision statement. But like we all know, when you get down to the details, uh, this is what ethics is all about. Yeah. Um, let's take modern day ethics as they exist right now and all kinds of hypothetical situations that we can talk about. And I can talk about the old Testament ones too, Yeah, that uh, they would debate. But I mean, think of someone at end of life, uh, you know, someone who's terminal, someone who's suffering. Do you respect life and dignify life and let things take its course? Or do you kill them in the sense of bringing them mercy? Uh, there's honest discussion and division over sure. that. What is the loving thing to do to that person? And I'm not sure humanity is seeing that one as an obvious one or fully agreed on it. Well, sure. Right? And that's just one little detail that I think we can all kind of grasp onto among a thousand choices we face every day. Um, Paul will say, speak the truth in love. Well, I, amen. Well, yeah, but you can say anything with a smile on your face, right? You, you know, <laughs> how, how do you actually do that based on the nuances of the conversation, of the person, of playing it out and, and people would come with different answers and say certain things are helpful certain things are hurtful i mean this is i mean ethics is about conflicting absolutes sure and trying to navigate how do you truly love someone and in practice well and easier said love them as yourself and not only with that whole statement that you just said it's like we're sinful so it's very difficult for us to do that. Like I think of just loving my neighbor as myself. It's like, hmm. well, then you put well, your own mixed motive in. Well, it. exactly. Yeah. So that's tough. I think that's why we all struggle with it, which is why Jesus came. He had to. He had to. Yeah. And I think some of those terms get co-opted too, with like speaking the truth in love as a justification for just judging people. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm or, speaking the truth to you. But do you have to be a jerk while you do it? Like, I don't know. Yep. Well, and because it comes side, off better like that. Absolute yeah. dishonesty and avoidance. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've seen it abused both ways. And what's your tendency, Andrew? Are you a, a I, true speaker or a love speaker? I'm a love speaker. For love? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steve, what do you got? I don't know. Maybe both. It depends on my kind situation. Of, yeah. And yeah, who I'm talking to. I would say majority of time, probably truth. You know, okay. because I think truth is love, right? To me, like yeah. I, I don't want to. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, well, that's why I say I, I'm probably a true speaker, but you can say anything with a smile on your face. People <laughs> take it interesting. True. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're I love idiot. your haircut. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you should you should wear yours that way. <laughs> they have the same haircut for those of you who can't <laughs> don't know what Kent looks like. Kent, you going to three three bald guys in Mike? Yeah, we might. Yeah, that's it. I'm no. getting close. Pretty soon. <laughs> Four guys, name, guys. No, no, there's two bald guys, guys in here and two in denial. That's right. so, <laughs> that's, and that's not the river. <laughs> uh, um, so I think our next question kind of delves into that. Uh, calling other people out on sin, I guess. Um, so let's read it and see what they have to say. Uh, presuming I am a Christian in the truest form of the word, uh, and presuming I'm still sinful when I die, whether knowingly or unknowingly, then I'm either A, going to be allowed into heaven, or B, not allowed. Um, so will there be anyone who ever dies and does not have both types of sin, knowing and unknowing, uh, mm. to deal with when they die, besides Jesus? I assume no. 
if this is true, then any sin I try to point out or influence on another is pure hypocrisy. All right, let me uh, l- let me go back to the first part of this question and, and help steer it through. Yes, and then maybe deal with maybe a uh, uh, what I think is a mistaken jump that's okay. being uh, made at the end. So yes, I think it's a safe presumption we are all going to die with unknowing sin. Um, there is no way in the universe you're ever going to be able to identify and quantify every sinful aspect of who you are and how that's expressed through every mixed motive, through every, um, everything we do is polluted by sin to some degree. I mean, every, it's, it's, if our heart is unclean and everything we do is the pipeline, you know, raw sewage is constantly flowing through, even when we're trying to purify that or, or have it be purified, I should say by Christ, right? It's just there with us till we die. So yes, we will all have unknowing sin until we die. And uh, probably most of us will have knowing sin too, things that we know that we've done. Because just because something is forgiven doesn't make it cease to exist as a sin. There are all things that we know that we have done that we will that we regret, that we will probably regret if we have the time to reflect on that when we come to that point. Um, so yeah, very, very safe assumption. Um, but again, you get into heaven if I can use it, if I could talk that way, you get into heaven because of what Christ did for you. You don't get into heaven because of what you do. Mm-hmm. The entire basis of the Christian faith is that Jesus died for you. And by his death, your sins are forgiven. And by them being forgiven, you are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, period. No ifs, ands, or buts in that. So what that should do is not lead you to avoid calling sin, sin, or calling evil, evil, or addressing it when it hurts others, because that's what sin does. What it should lead you to do is do it with absolute humility. Because when you realize you are one who is guilty of sin, just like the one that you are talking to, it's a big different world when you're in the same boat with someone, as opposed to looking down upon someone from above. And of course, that's been a big problem in, I'm not going to say Christian history, it's been a big problem in human history. We, many of us have tendencies to compare ourselves against others and fixate on a couple points and make value judgments about their character and our character as a result. Um, well, that, that's your sinful nature coming through. No, we're all, we're all beggars seeking God's grace. Yeah. Have, have you like, <clears throat> I, I think it depends too. Like if, if you're calling out sin to an unbeliever, I think that's different than calling out and holding someone accountable who is a believer. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. And Paul would actually agree. In first Corinthians chapter six, he talks about this and he talks about some very rampant sin happening in the early Christian community. Basically it's incest mm-hmm. um, of, of one form or another. Um, it's not like a, a, it's not what we would call a pedophilia thing happening today, but I'll just leave it at that. You could read it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just saying, Oh, you know, we don't want to judge each other. Oh, we don't want to call sin, sin. We don't want to, you know, we're all forgiven in Christ. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Well, you can't tolerate this. Sin has a corrosive, destructive effect on people. If you love people, you have to address it. And within that context, he says this, you know, I'm not talking about judging the world. They could judge each other. We have no place judging the world. That's not our business. 
We're talking about within our family here, you know, calling out things among those who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And he calls them to call it out in that context and not the worldly context. I find too many Christians who do the opposite way. They want to judge the world Mm -hmm. and yet they don't look inward inward at themselves or their own or their own community. Um, What's kind of a cool follow-up to that story is um, first Corinthians is followed by second Corinthians and Paul actually more wrote more than two Corinthians letter. It might be actually second and fourth Corinthians, but it's not numbered that way. Um, we'll put that aside so as to avoid the confusion I just entered in the scene right there. But you see the guy getting restored as a result of it is where I'm going. If you read the letter called second Corinthians, the calling out worked. Um, I'm assuming they did it well and they did it right. Cause there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Um, but it worked. And Paul writes in the second letter, you got to restore this guy. He's broken over it. You, you know, you may have gone too far. Maybe, maybe it's, it's not being fully embraced enough. No, he is forgiven. He's repented of this. Welcome him back in as an equal, not as some kind of second class citizen as though you're better than him. Okay. <clears throat> I want to get your take on something. All of you. So when you are going to bed at night, you're, praying, you're asking for forgiveness of your sins, you know, for the dumb stuff you did during the day and whatnot. You're, are you, are you specific? One, that's one, one question. Are you specific in what you're asking forgiveness for? I think sometimes, sometimes, sometimes can't say that again for me. <laughs> hey, we're going to bypass Kent. Yeah. <laughs> No, he's an equal member. Of okay, well, fine. <laughs> when you're you're you've tucked yourself in, you're in your jammies, yeah. you've had your warm milk, you're going and you're gonna you know yeah. ask for forgiveness. You're praying, you know, going through what yeah. your day and whatnot. Are you specific in this in asking for forgiveness of certain things, or yeah. is it just a blanket? It's a blanket. Okay, that's interesting. How about you? Uh, probably both. Probably both. If something specific is bothering me, I'm running to it. Uh huh. But so, often I'm not trying to conjure up. I'm not trying to do a deep assessment of every wrong of the day. Okay. So I'm now let's go a step further. Yeah. So when we ask for forgiveness, God grants us forgiveness. Is he going to, do you think, reopen that book on judgment day? Or are those sins forgotten because they've been forgiven and they're no longer exist? What do you think? Yeah, it's fascinating to think about the that, isn't it? Of, like forgive and forget. Yeah, right. Essentially. Yeah. Because he can forget, we can't. I mean, that's just not even possible for us, right? Yeah. I mean And so when the Bible talks about God forgetting, it's obviously metaphorical to show that he treats us as though he has forgotten. New Testament is clear. We'll stand before God on judgment day on the basis of our works. And some people take that the wrong way mm. to then think that whatever their place in heaven or entry to heaven is, 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 is going to be measured by the quality of their life. And you can choose to go that way if you want. I I don't recommend it. I don't think it's ever worked out for anyone in human history. (laughs) All right. But Hey, maybe you think more highly of yourself. It's going to be a hard life, but it does seem to indicate that our deeds will be exposed. And I think that includes the good, the bad, the ugly, but the good news is that there's an advocate named Christ who takes whatever is written or stands against us, if I can use the book metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and saying, this one's paid for, this one's paid for, this one's paid for, this one's covered. Hmm. Interesting. What are your thoughts? 
Um, Ken. If I, by the time I go to bed, I think I've wrestled with God quite a bit. If if throughout if I, the day, yeah, throughout the day, um, and I try to probably resolve that before mm. um, I hit the bed. Yeah. So, um, he, you know, all knowing, all being, yeah, yeah, I can't hide from it. So, there's probably been hours of conversation. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm weird that way, but wherever I'm at, whether it's in studio, at work, whatever. Uh, and usually then I'll I'll create a conversation with that person that I feel that I've wronged and say, you know what? Yeah, I would say in my thinking and reading throughout, I, I don't know that I've I've solidified that answer myself personally, but I would I would probably say like I don't see God as a God that's gonna heat up your leftovers. Right. Meaning No, I don't think that, so either. Well, I know you asked for forgiveness, but mm, Remember back on August thirteenth, yeah, rubbing your nose in it like the dog. Right. Who's I just, just don't see yeah. him as yeah. as doing that. Yeah, I don't you know, so, so um, that's kind of where my mind is. Anyway, that's where I'm. That's where I'm at right now. Could change. You know, if someone yeah. wants to show me otherwise, I guess. But I want to give a shout out to Derek here pretty quick too, because you know we're talking a lot about sleeping and what yeah. keeps us up and yeah. stuff like that. And he's got a great tip here. You know, Steve, the best sleep therapy is reading your Bible until you pass out. Yeah. Right. So that's great, Derek. In in theory. Now here's the, the here's the problem with this statement, is that I can go to sleep, but I'm gonna wake up and then I can't get back to sleep. <laughs> so if, all right, if so Derek, Derek does this is, work a second time around? You can leave your phone on, you know, and then I'll call you, and then you can give me a little bedtime story and continue to read because I think DJ <laughs> is, is is that's who it is, DJ. Okay. Uh, if if you could maybe even at night, you know, I'll just call you at ten. Let's just plan at ten p.m. and you can. Read to me over the phone. Lullabies with Steve, right? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> do yep, right uh, of course, you're listening to questions you never thought you could ask in church right here at 21 6 The Net. Uh, you can join us every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Central and uh, ask all the questions you want. We'll answer them live time or text them at any time, 24 hours a day to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. Uh, text, uh, you know, if, if you're up at 3 and you got a question, text it in. Yeah. But here's the best thing. Text let us know number. it's like 3 in the morning. Yeah, I couldn't sleep tonight. Right. <laughs> right? And then let us know how creative your, your question really is. Right. <laughs> I think that's the way to do it. Of course, you can uh, like, follow, uh, subscribe to Fellowship of Faith, Facebook, YouTube, 216 uh Facebook, YouTube. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., uh, we go live on 216 net and out there, Fellowship of Faith, YouTube, uh, for the uh, worship hour, which yep. is great. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a little follow-up comment on the – the last question, um, I think we were talking about like calling out our own community within the church rather mm-hmm. than outside people. Sure. And I think that's some of what, what leads or has led to the world seeing Christians as hypocrites. I feel like that's always the first comment that comes to mind of if someone's talking with a Christian or whatever, like, oh, you're all hypocrites. It's like probably because well, we are. we're busy. <laughs> well, yes, but we're busy calling out people outside yeah. of the church and not the people within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of glance over very that. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But you're like, why do people see us that way? Cause we do that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> without getting our own, our own house in order before yeah. the difficulty I always have with it. And it's, a, and it's a real struggle for me. But how else do you try to espouse change? Most Christians I've met are not judgmental people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like a lot of things in this world where, 
a few vocal, noticeable, hurtful people set a tone in someone's mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the majority. And uh, if you've been burned or hurt by someone, it especially happens with family members or, or people in a certain circle, just, I just want to let you know, I feel for you in that. And, you know, you know, and it's not my place to apologize for them, but I am sorry for what you've had to endure in that. Cause it, it, it hurts and it's infuriating and it masks people from God in the truth. But I would simultaneously encourage a reverse, uh, encourage avoiding a reverse hypocrisy because most people I meet and have talked to that get angry about hypocrisy end up judging everyone because of a few. And in another circumstance, they wouldn't say we should do that. But in this case, it always seems to be okay to judge all Christians because of the bad experience with a few, or to judge all churches because this one's prominent on the news in an ugly way, mm. or to judge the entire movement because of certain eras or, or dark spots in history where Christians did some really, and I can't even say stupid because that's soft peddling it, but really evil things. You know, Christianity doesn't deny that. Um, it, it owns that. And pray deeply to God that, that all Christians who, who find themselves standing against it quickly admit it and throw themselves on the mercy of God because of it. And the gateway out of hypocrisy is not denying or avoiding, but it's admitting head on and seeking God through it as opposed to the alternative. Yeah. yeah. Um, so changing gears a little bit, uh, we have a question between differentiating between Catholicism and Lutheranism, I guess. Mm, okay. Um, so my husband is Catholic and he wants me to switch from being a Lutheran. I attended RCIA, which... Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. There you go. Uh, I Googled it, but I'm glad that you know, <laughs> that, you know that. Um, <laughs> while I see a common foundation and much beauty in the faith, I see real division too. So I cannot just say, of course I'll become Catholic, and then hold on to my Protestant faith. <laughs> I'm truly needing some guidance on this. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. You know, the struggle that you have is also a common one. So many people that I meet come from different faith backgrounds and even continue to have different faith tradition leanings. And I, I do want to uh, just encourage you on a, on a certain line here going, yeah, seeing the beauty in someone else's faith tradition, way to go in that, way, way, way to have the open spirit. And um, my, my encouragement to you is this. I think it's incredible that you attended RCIA. How amazing that your husband believes in his faith so much that his heart is for you, that he wants to see you share that journey with him and also maybe the benefits of that tradition as well. And the fact that you were able to put yourself out there and try it, even if it was just for his sake, way to go on that. That's awesome. And I, more, I wish more spouses would do that for each other. But I also think it's incredible that you're not just going down a path to please him. And with a true, sincere conscience coming to a place of saying, I do see real division. And because of that, I can't just go along with it, even though that might seem loving or even though that might seem easier. Because if you do this for the wrong reasons, it's, it's, it's dirty from the outset and debased in, in what it's intended to be. 
So um, this is the guidance I would give. I think you need to have an open conversation with your husband about this. And maybe you have, and maybe you are. But sharing with him the divisions that you see, the things that you don't agree with, the reasons why you cannot or are not becoming a Catholic and are clinging to the Lutheran tradition instead. Open the dialogue and don't try to solve it in one conversation. If your husband knows that you love him and respect him, and yet simultaneously in that can have the open, honest conversation with him and not be manipulated or guilted or do it out of pity or you know any of other false reasons to do it, Hopefully God is going to take that and birth something out of it in you both. That even though you have religious differences, fundamentally, you still share a commonality in Christ that transcends denominational differences. Um, reach out to us directly if we could help you more specifically in, in the nuts and bolts of this. I can only take it so far in a general kind of question like this, but yeah, uh, that's hard. Yeah, keep, keep that conversation going and get wise counsel in the middle of it from people you trust. Yeah. So I've got it. We've got a question here on the comments. <clears throat> Ted says, uh, what do you say to a non-church going person who judges those that go to church when they say God hates religion because it is man-made? I don't need religion to follow. All I need to do is read my Bible. Just like come to church with me. And I don't mean that to be pat. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know what I'm all about. I mean, this show obviously is all about getting into meaningful discussions with people and allowing any question to come. And, and certainly you can go down that path with your friend, but I found I've gotten into endless debates with people who just want to debate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just need to cut through it. You know what? Come to church with me. Tell me what you think. And then listen to them afterwards yeah. and then invite them to come again and then invite them to come again. Just keep inviting your friend until he tells you to stop and then respect him in that. But, uh, Let's leap past the theoretical arguments and just get down into the thick of it and let reality dictate where his perceptions might go um, as opposed to something that he's conjured. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for asking, Ted. And Ted, I would also recommend too, probably like, it seems so like isolated. If you're, if you're not going to be part of a, a family of believers and, and God only wants you to read his word and that's it, then I'm going to assume that he's reading his Bible then if that's what he's doing, because he's not going to church. He's not communing with, with fellow believers. He's not doing any of that. Well, then how do you, how do you explain acts? Like how do, how do you get through acts and say, Hmm, well, you know what? I guess, I guess it's okay to be isolated and I don't have to be with anybody. I don't think that's what acts points out. No, all. it's it's so, not the narrative of the entire Bible. And, and that, that even, doesn't get to even specific commands about gathering right. together. So, I mean, I would encourage your friend to be a doer of the Bible and not just a reader of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're going to do what it says, that means gathering with other believers intentionally in the yeah. name of Christ. Yeah. Yep. So it would be the, uh, my mind jumped to like monks mm. who their lives are very isolated and they're studying on their own and praying on their own and those types of things. I know they're typically in a, community of monks but that seems to go against the idea of the community of faith because it's about their their personal journey their personal study i don't know is that you know there, there, there's truth to that andrew it's not but a I one think, to one comparison but 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 i think monks are often misunderstood and there's certainly been in very early christian tradition the the ascetic monks that would go off into the wilderness solo 
But but there was a self-correction to that movement very quick, Mm -hmm. realizing that God has called us to community. And so the monastic life is is truly a both and. You will probably not find a more individual journey than monastic life. And simultaneously, you will not find a more communal journey than monastic life. Everything in monastic life is done in light of the community, for the sake of the community, together with the community. Even if I am not always physically present with the community, I mean, we are far more individual than any monk ever is. The monastic way is about submission to the community and the leaders of the community and and truly trying to practice what it means to honor one another and put one another up above yourself and putting your desires and putting your wishes and putting your moods and putting your skills and putting your sense of yourself secondary to it all. Um, there's a, a monastery I like to frequent in Kentucky called Abbey of Gethsemane, a Roman Catholic monastery. And uh, anyone who knows Thomas Merton, this is where I, uh, classic 20th century a Christian mystical writer, fantastic work um, came out of. And, you know, it's fascinating to me the amount of people there who are monks who have credentials, skill sets, expertise, and connections that could make them multimillionaires and some even coming out of high-powered political and executive life. And now they do dishes. Well, I'm not using my gifts. It's not about that. It's about how do I serve the community? So, Yes, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And I I like DJ's comment here on Facebook. I feel like I can read my Bible all day, every day, but we also need guidance and teaching to endure a better understanding. Yeah. And I think that's very true. It's there. It's a confusing book. And that's why people have degrees and people do study and spend their entire lives researching and everything so that they can share that knowledge among among the community and with people. And even when it's clear, there's just such a depth of richness and nuance that can be pulled out in so many different perspectives mm-hmm. that can help us think about the same passage in different ways. At Take, different times. Like Kent mentioned earlier, love your neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself. I mean, 90% of Christian writing is, pro- ethical writing is flushing nuance out of that. Yeah. As you think we can, you know, like Ken said, whittle it down to just a couple things. And even within those things, there's so much nuance and, and detail to figure out. It's very interesting. Becky, uh, I think, is saying that she went to the monaster, monastery hey. and changed, changed her as a person. Yeah. Yeah, so, Becky. Uh, great great yeah. to have you on the show today. Thanks, Becky. And uh, yeah, Becky was one who did the pilgrimage with us. And uh, absolutely right. I mean, you, you know, and what's cool about these monasteries, too is they house you and feed you for free mm-hmm. because they believe in hospitality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean they're going to let you live there for like the next eight months. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Move it in. You know? Where's the TV? Back to you, hold but, up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time we go, it's Here's you go mattress. for a long weekend, you can go for a week, you can request to go for longer, and they have to kind of vet some of that. But Where's it at? The one uh, There's monasteries yeah, all around. Sure, in fact, there's an Eastern Orthodox about two miles down from where I live, Mm. believe it or not. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the one that we're talking about, Abbey of Gethsemane, is down in, um, it's in Kentucky, about 45 minutes from Louisville. Mm. Um, It's uh, kind of interesting because if you're in like the right side of the property, it's about 1,600 acre wilderness (laughs) that they're on. And it's the right time of the day and and they're doing the right kind of drills. You can hear the tanks at Fort Knox Mm. out on the range, um, just distant down the horizon, but it's not in that neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah. 
That's very cool. Um, yeah, we gotta get you guys down there. <laughs> she says I didn't like the oatmeal, but otherwise it was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, we're called to suffer in this. That's life, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we could uh, take the show on the road. Uh, questions you never thought yeah. you could ask a monk. Yeah, wouldn't that be Ooh. great? <laughs> be a lot of dead air. Maybe. We'd, have to, we'd have to chant our theme song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know when, when we're down there. Um, They'll, they'll 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 do these sessions like once a day where like what a monk will just kind of i'm gathering at two o'clock you just want to kind of sit around and ask me questions and talk yeah friendliest <clears throat> happiest most mm-hmm. outgoing socially like apt yeah people yeah there was like a it. there was a yeah monastery slash seminary maybe outside of just a little bit outside of the town where i went to college mm. and every year we do our college would do like a choir concert there okay and it was just the coolest experience ever first of all because their sanctuary was beautiful and high ceilings and everything I mean, yeah, echoes, but the acoustics. The, are, yeah. Again, the hospitality there was just so great. Yeah. Um, in Seward, outside of Seward, mm-hmm. was that in Waverly? No, it's it's right outside, across from Walmart, oh, across okay. the highway there. Walmart. But we, <laughs> it's in the back storeroom <laughs> at Walmart. Yeah, those weren't monks. The loading dock <laughs> in the back. It was right there. Yeah, I, they were in robes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but our, our Lutheran college would also uh, play a prank on them every Reformation Day. Uh, because why not, right? Yeah, yeah. Tape the 95 theses up to the door of it. <laughs> Probably not the best day. but they appreciated that. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure. Right? I'm sure they did. That's funny. But I think you, 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 laugh, you laugh it off, right? It's all in good, good humor. Um, so this one is a follow-up from a couple weeks ago. Uh, it says, following up on the question about FOF being welcoming to the LGBTQ community, mm. there's a difference between being welcoming and being supportive. Does FOF, which is Fellowship of Faith, our church, support slash condone gay or lesbian marriage? Yeah, great question. Thank you for asking. And, uh, and you're right. There is a difference between being welcoming and, and supportive, or, or there could be a difference because, I mean, again we use language, but we got to make sure that we're on the same page because you can also be supportive of someone without agreeing with everything that that person is doing or is about our values, right? So even there, we do have to kind of qualify some of the language. And I'm not just saying this to be slippery. I think this is how the conversation has to be had if any kind of meaningful healing is going to happen and connection is going to happen between the LGBT community and the Christian community, which seems to have been at polar odds. Mm. Um, for for a long time, but particularly for people who identify with the LGBT community who are also identifying with the Christian community or are uh, seeking God for that matter. So the question is about fellowship of faith. And so I'll answer this to fellowship of faith very specifically and what this means. And you're going to find that with a lot of things in life, short answers don't do justice because they can often lead to wrong conclusions. Mm. Forgive me for some of the length of what I have to play out, but there's no, I found way around this. At Fellowship of Faith, someone who identifies with the LGBTQ community is just as welcome as someone who does not identify with the LGBTQ community. And I need to shorten it because even with the Q, I'm getting to be a mouthful. So I'm going to abbreviate a little bit more going forward. And uh, to identify with the LGBTQ community also doesn't mean that you're LGBTQ or A or I or K or any of the other letters, you know, that have just gotten abbreviated by the plus sign. 
Some people believe it, uh, support the community as a political right movement or a lobby, and others identify because they identify with one of the letters. So even there, we're nuancing, right? Look, Fellowship of Faith, we don't care how you identify. There's no neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, or any other distinction. If you want to come, come. If you want to be a part of it, we welcome you. If you come and you are the worst sinner who's ever graced humanity, we'd love to have you. And if you come and you are the most holy person to walk the earth, we would love to have you. If you come and you hate God and hate church and hate Christians, we'd love to have you. And if you come and you love God and you love church and you love Christians, we come to ha- we, we'd love to have you. And I don't think I'm just speaking for the leadership. I cannot speak for everyone who attends a church. No church can. Mm-hmm. But the values of the organization, the culture of the organization, and the ethos of, I think, what you typically would experience among most people who are connecting with that organization any given Sunday, right? I, I think you would feel that. Now, within that, we believe Jesus meets us exactly where we are, and at that place says, come follow me. And that means life change for every single one of us. That means confronting things in all of us that are not right or good or according to what we believe God's revealed standard happens to be. And that will certainly include the LGBTQ community as much as it will include the heterosexual community. So we're equal opportunity offenders at Fellowship of Faith. Now, I do believe, and Fellowship of Faith has as part of its doctrinal statement, so to speak, that homosexual practice is against God's wishes. And so we would equally say that sex before marriage is. We would equally say divorces. And yet we have plenty of people at Fellowship of Faith who um, have engaged in homosexual practice, maybe still are. We have plenty of people at Fellowship of Faith who have engaged in premarital sex, some who still are. We have plenty of people at Fellowship of Faith who have been divorced and still are. And any number of other sexual ethic things that we can throw on the table. So again, I I think everyone wants to pigeonhole people into one of two camps. And, and we got to get away from that. Um, and, and, and at FOF, we try hard not to play that game, not to make everyone happy, not to tell people what they think they want to hear, not to try to be evasive or slippery, but because we want to get to the truth of things and not the label of things. Mm-hmm. And again, you can keep pushing this deeper, but hopefully that's brought some clarity to it. And then, of course, we always welcome the questions to 815-314-0363 if uh, if a follow-up would be more helpful, because I know this is more than theoretical. This is something that uh, a lot of people are struggling deeply with directly or by extension. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you said that kind of defining those words of like welcoming, supportive, condoning. So I think that's something that like in society, we have an issue with too, of like the idea of tolerance. Like, well, how right. do you define tolerance? Right. And a lot of times people who are saying you need to be more tolerant, they're not being tolerant by saying that. So it's like, it's just one of those word games that you have yeah. throughout, I think, a lot of issues between the church and society. Well, and, and our society loves to put people in their camps. Yeah. Well, I'm not part of that camp. You, They're over there. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you know. Yeah. And at Fellowship of Faith, you are not going to get an armband. You are not going to get a secret tattoo. You are not going to get a brand. You are not going to get a membership card. You are not going to be told the secret code. Just come. You you know, there's no camp, if you will. 
You will get some great coffee. And you will get some great coffee. And right now we got blueberry maple pancake, which you talk about that a lot. That's, yeah, it's it's we next have, level. It smells we have six different kinds of coffee this past it, day. You, uh, right, you and it, a lot of delicious. Yeah, I'm feeling a little guilty because sometimes I go there for just for that, even though I'm employed there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the coffee first, then the paycheck, and then this. Yeah, yeah right. You want me to play? And then sure. the rest of the work. I'm not moving unless you get this coffee. <laughs> well, we're it. steering into one thirty here, and before we sign off, Andrew, I want to follow up maybe one final comment and a couple closing things just about the podcast. You know, you mentioned the word tolerate earlier. Mm-hmm. Jesus never called us to tolerate people; he called us to love people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at Fellowship of Faith, we have a, a, a church that we seek to love people at. We want to do far. Toleration is a shadow to Jesus' call to loving each other. And that's what the Christian movement is always supposed to have been about and what we hope Fellowship of Faith is about and what we want to be quick to repent of when we're not. So thank you for tuning in today. Great to have you with us. Another round of great questions. If we didn't get to your question yet, it is in our inbox. We will get there. You can text them in 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. Any question goes. We broadcast live every Wednesday from 12.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. Central. But if you've missed an episode, subscribe. Um, you, you know, follow us on your favorite podcast provider, be it through Spotify or YouTube or, or, or Apple or, you know, whoever it Google. happens to be, Google. Um, follow us, just search for questions you never thought you could ask in church. Subscribe to the one that has the most recent updates, not the old one that is still there. It, it is still our show, but that one isn't being updated anymore. 52 or 53 episodes. Yeah. Subscribe, catch last episodes. We'll catch you next time. God bless everyone. Church, yeah.